0: Sorry, we didn't know that this was an, uh, so apparently this was a surprise birthday party. We didn't, <laughs> we didn't order the cake. Our apologies. <laughs> All right, we're going to just jump right into to our, our message for the day. Uh, I'm just skipping announcements. Just go on the website. Middle schoolers, dismiss the class. That one, I would like to leave with all my limbs here. um, So I won't not say that one. Uh, Middle schools, go to class. You can give online. Go on the website for information for stuff. (laughs) Oh, man. Need to pull this out so I know how much trouble I'm in. Uh, All right, question for you. We are continuing our series on parables, uh, as you can see. Um, We started last week. Uh, Has anybody ever been in a hot seat situation? Maybe it was a a job interview, um, that first big uh, meet the family dinner. Or that first time you, you know, you, you, you meet the, the, especially you guys, um, you know, the first time you meet the, the father of, of the, the, uh, the lady you're interested in that, you know, in that first conversation, um, or maybe it was a, a big presentation at, at work or at, uh, at school, um, the type of situation where... where where all eyes are on you and it's intense. It's a hot seat kind of situation. And um, the reason I bring this up is this is, this is the, the kind of the context that we find the parable that we're going to look at today um, in, in Scripture. This is where Jesus finds himself in, in, in the text this morning. Uh, this, and before we get into the actual parable... Um, uh, it's important that we kind of set the stage so we understand what, what the parable is. How many know that all, all meaning, especially in scripture, is context dependent? If we don't understand the scene, we're not going to understand the story. So we're going to, uh, bear with me, there, this, this, this parable has, has a pretty important ramp up. So we're going we're gonna to start with, with the scene in which this parable is, is set. And it takes place in, in Luke chapter 14. Um, Jesus is invited to the home of a Pharisee for a Sabbath dinner. Now, it was common in those days for religious leaders in an area to invite traveling teachers over for a meal. This was uh, the, the practice of the day. Uh, and, and present at this meal would have been all of the, the elite the uh, The local Illuminati, if you will um, and, and this would have been this dinner would have been no no different. there would have been all the different groups that were that were kind of vying for power in that area yet you, you would have your, your Pharisees obviously they one of them invited Jesus they were um, and the Pharisees were concerned about about following the rules so that we could earn god's favor and there was the Sadducees it was a different kind of religious political group. Um, back then, uh, in, in, in Israel, there was no distinction really between religious and political. It was all the same. Um, and then there was people that were just kind of your political social climbers. They just want to kind of gather influence and status for themselves and wealth that were, that would have been there. And the purpose of this dinner, um, was more of an interview than social. This was not a dinner just to get to know you. This was not a, hey, let's just be nice and develop relationship and and network. This was not one of those. Um, The whole point of these types of dinners was this new, so a new guy would come into town, and and the point was, let's figure out what team this guy is on. What is he really all about? Typically, the invited guest's goal was to get out there and, and the guests that would come in, their goal would be to get the approval of these leaders because these were the who's who in the area. And if they wanted to operate and they wanted access to the synagogue and they wanted to be able to um, have influence themselves in that area, they needed the, some of these people at least to sign off on what they were saying. So the typically the traveling preacher or teacher or whatever, their goal in this meeting is to try and convince some of the people there at least that that what they were saying was valid and that they were on at least one of the team's present. This is not the strategy that Jesus employs. This is um, the exact opposite of what, what Jesus did. Instead, Jesus initiates a ridiculously awkward conversation. How many people out there, anybody out there enjoy awkward conversations? I know a few people in my life that genuinely enjoy awkward conversations. They enjoy instigating them. They enjoy being a part of them. I think those people are weird and they're rare. (laughs) Most of us avoid awkward conversations, right? But I love that about Jesus, how comfortable he was with making other people uncomfortable. uh, And we see that in this moment. So he walks into this, this, this big room, this house with all these, these important people. And right off the bat, he engages them. He doesn't wait for them to start asking questions. He starts asking them questions and giving them advice. Now, right, you may look at these kind of exchanges as kind of random, but there's a method to his madness. And through these short conversations, Jesus is basically going around the room, and he's highlighting spots where each of these teams, each of these groups that are represented, are missing the kingdom that he's trying to bring. See, a lot of times when we talk about Jesus and the Pharisees, we were talking, talking with Lily about this a little bit earlier this morning. Um, we see him at, like at odds with them, like at war with them. And, and there was certainly a ton of conflict there. But here's the crazy thing. That conflict, at least from Jesus' side, was still an attempt to love them. It was still an invitation for them to join him. Now, he is Jesus and he knew that that wasn't he knew they weren't going to take the bait, but that still was the intent of what he was doing. Um, and in these, so in these, these short conversations he has with all these people, he takes them group by group, and in just a short little interaction, he takes the thing that they, these groups are holding to and have placed a, a, their highest priority on. And he shows how it's, it, it it's invalid, how it's actually working against the the real kingdom of heaven coming into their lives and into their community. He 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 starts by questioning whether healing on the Sabbath is allowable. Now if, if you've heard new testament stories or they read the gospels you know this is a this is an ongoing theme between the pharisees and jesus and so he asks the question you know is it is it permissible to heal on the sabbath and they refuse to answer so i I love the way the the the, how short this 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 little phrase is like two sentences where he just says so jesus sees a guy that's all swollen he heals him and then he dismisses them out of the house and that's the end of, that's the end of the, that the whole part of the phrase. He was, he was aiming this at the Pharisees, these rule followers that took issue with work on the Sabbath. These, these people that were so focused on, on the, the legal, um, the legalistic, the, the things that I do can, can, will determine what God does in our lives. The Pharisees believed that if they could just get everybody to follow all the rules for just one day, one day, all of Israel, if they would just be good for one day, then God would come and set everything right, which we'll talk a little bit more about that later. So so he he right off the bat, he he kind of alienates himself. Clearly, he's not a, he's not on the Pharisee team. And then next he sees how people are are coming in and they're trying to get the best seat because in that day and age it was all about it was very uh it was very they were very intentional about where they sat in the room. So you had the, 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 the table of prominence or the most, you know, the head or the host or whatever would sit there and everybody would sit in order of importance from that person on. And so there was always this jockeying and Jesus is watching this go on. And so um, he, he looks at them and he quite, uh, let's see, where am, I, where am I at? Lost my place. So he sees that the people are coming. He tells them that it's better to humbly take a seat in the back and let let the host invite you up rather than sit at the front and then somebody more important than you come in and you be embarrassingly asked to to jump into the back. He's trying to teach them the power of godly humility. And now this would not have sat well with the 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 political and social climbers that were there whose pe- whose whole lives were wrapped up in just trying to get ahead get a little more notoriety get a little more wealth get a little more influence he goes right at them and then finally in the the ultimate awkward conversation kind of unprompted he turns to the host of the event and he advises him that it's in better to in, it would have been better for him to invite the poor and the lowly to dinner and in doing so, he would store up treasure in eternity. In the resurrection of the righteous. Now, this phrase, the resurrection of the righteous, is where where Jesus really is kind of. I don't want to say sticking it to, but kind of sticking it to the the last major group that was there. See, there's a, a, a there was a prominent group that would have been represented called the Sadducees, and they were they were basically kind of the the part of the religious elite that didn't actually believe in a supernatural. And so in Jesus saying this that hey you should do all this stuff specifically because you will store up treasure in the supernatural in the the, the resurrection of the dead, um he was letting them know he's putting this whole group I, I'm not with y'all, <laughs> right? I don't we're not we're not going to be buddies. And so he, he makes it clear that he's not on, on any of these teams. He sets himself apart. He declares that I, I will not be put in any of your boxes. And Jesus still says that to us today. Your understanding, your knowledge, your relationship of who God is, of who Jesus is, is only a fraction. It's, it's just a a, a toenail on an elephant of the real whole picture. He makes it clear that he's not on any of these teams. And if we pick the story up in Luke 15, we, we see their reaction to it. And it's uh, Luke 15, starting at 14, starting verse 15 says, Hearing this, a man sitting at the table with Jesus exclaims, What a blessing it will be to attend a banquet in the kingdom of God. Now, th- this phrase, uh, the banquet in the kingdom of God, it was it was a specific key. This this idea of the banquet of the kingdom of God was 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 a shorthand. It was a symbol. Everybody there would have heard it as a reference to the thing they were all arguing about all the time. It was it was a reference to. There's a a, a famous prophecy in the in the book of Isaiah in uh, Isaiah 25 that had become the question all of these people were divided on. And so to really understand this, we got to quickly just look at this at look at this this passage. In Isaiah 25 starting in verse 6, it says the prophet writes in Jerusalem the Lord of heaven's armies will spread a wonderful feast before all the people of the world. It will be a delicious banquet with clear, well-aged wine and choice meat. There will There he will remove the cloud of gloom and he will shadow the death that hangs over the earth. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away all his all tears. He will remove forever all insults and mockery against his land and people. The Lord has spoken. What a beautiful prophecy. And it embodied the great hope that they had that one day everything would be made right, that that Israel would once again regain its prominence and its prosperity and its freedom. So this great banquet that this this verse kind of uses, this imagery, became the shorthand for this issue. When is God going to restore us? And the groups present were in constant conflict over what it was going to take for that future, that prophecy to come true. What they needed to do, when it would happen, why it hadn't happened yet. These groups were constantly at each other's throat trying to prove each other's theories wrong and to make this great banquet happen. And so when this man brings up this, this thing and says how, how great it will be to sit at that banquet, it'd it, it, it be uh, kind of akin to like if you're, you know, you're talking to somebody and, you know, and you say something and they're like, yes. And speaking of the coronavirus, and just kind of pause, you know, it's like a cue. They're, clearly they want to get your thoughts. They want <laughs> to know where you stand on this issue. This is what the guy does. He opens an invitation for Jesus to to explain to them. He's made it clear that he's not on any of their teams, right? And so now he's saying, okay, well, if you're not on our teams, then what are you? What are you saying? And Jesus replies with our our parable for today. This is his, his answer to that question of this great banquet, of our great Hope this great future that God has promised. What is He's saying, Jesus? What what's your take on it? And this is His answer. He answers in the form of a parable, and we see this in in verse starting in verse sixteen. He says, uh, He replied with a story. A man prepared a great feast and sent out many invitations. When the banquet was ready, he sent his servants to tell the guests, "Come, the banquet is ready." But they had all began to make excuses. One said, I just bought a field and must inspect it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five pair of oxen and and I want to try them out. Please excuse me. And another said, I now have a wife, so I can't come. The servant, we're going to leave that one alone. The servant returned and told his master what they said, and his master was furious. Now, we got to stop there to kind of understand, unpack this a bit with some context, why the master here is so mad, right? We could read this story and go, okay, guy threw a big party, and a couple of people said they couldn't come. What's the big deal? Why is he so upset? But in their culture, the hearers of this would have understood this very differently because of just some things that they know that we aren't obvious to us in the text, that in their culture, invitations to a banquet, banquet, a big banquet like this would go out in two phases, right? This is not, they didn't have, um, you know, raising canes, catering, or Affairs to Remember, where there was all farmed out and all this stuff. If you wanted to do a banquet then, the way it would work is you would say, hey, I'm going to do this banquet, and you would send your servant out, you would send your people out, and you would send in them to all the people that you were going to invite to this banquet. And you would tell them, hey, this is the day it's going to be, can you come? Kind of like a RSVP. And they would answer, yes, I'm, I, I can make that. I can, whatever. At that point, there is much more than today. There was a, you, you were giving your word you're coming to this banquet because the amount of effort it took to prepare a banquet was phenomenal back then. You had to acquire livestock and make sure you had enough and bake and all these things. It took, took just a Herculean feet to have all of the things that you needed to feed a giant group of people at that time. So once you said you were coming, you were expected to come. It was a big deal if you, if you said you were coming and you didn't. And in this story, um, the, through the phrasing by the fact that the servant said, you know, tell the guests, come, the banquet is ready. We are, we are past the RSVP stage. This is, you've said yes, and, and now we're just letting you know exactly, okay, it's, time has come. You can come now. The food, the food is ready. So that's the first thing. Right off the bat, these people are breaking, um, breaking with tradition. They're breaking with what is expected. Um, they're, they're, it's a faux pas to begin with, to say you're coming and then not come. And then we have the issue of these excuses themselves. To us, they look like maybe average excuses, but the people at the dinner party would have heard these as a progressively um, intensifying list of insults. Because nobody bought a field and then inspected it. That's like... It's like you buying a house. Like, buy, has anybody, anybody here buy their house sight unseen? Like the first time you walked in was after you had already signed all the mortgage papers and done all that stuff, and then you walk in and you're like, "Oh, oh, it's a ranch." Good to know. No. So on its face, and it's it's a it's a blatant excuse, and it, that would have been seen as as insulting. And then the, and the, then this, so we go to the, the second guys and, you know, he had to buy these acts, these, he bought five yoke of oxen. And this one, it's got, it's like double layer of ridiculous. First off, nobody would buy five yoke of oxen without having in thoroughly inspected them and actually trained them, like seen them in action. Because if they didn't, if they weren't matched properly, they were useless, not to mention that any guy that is buying five yoke of oxen at one time was wealthy enough that he had an oxen guy, right? This is, this is not, he's not gonna go and do this himself. He would have the guy that's in charge of the oxen that would be training and inspecting and doing all of that stuff. So the second one's even more laughable and insulting. And then the third guy, well, I mean, first off, you just got married, that's, that, that's not like a, you know, hey, I went out this week and like you knew that was coming. You knew that was coming before the banquet, you would have ever been invited to this banquet. And then to make things even worse, he sends no apology, right? At the end of it, he just says, I got married, I can't come. Which would have been the ultimate an insult in that culture. If you had to if you had to beg out, you made sure that your you would you would list a, a bunch of apologies, you would lay out ironclad how there is no way around you not, you know, you having to abstain and asking profusely for for the person's forgiveness and apologies. None of that is here. So no wonder this, this host, this owner, is furious. This, this paints a picture not just of a couple people that couldn't come to a party, but of an entire community that has rejected this guy for no good reason. But here's where the, the big left turn in the story comes. Remember last week in, the parable, in parables, we looked at how plot twists were usually kind of the highlighter for, for what, what Jesus is trying to say in the story. And if you ask the audience at this point, what happens next in the story, that typically they all, would have, they all would have told some version of how the host would have retaliated or punished or excommunicated all of the offenders because their offense was so great. What would your reaction have been? You know, can you imagine, um, you know, planning a, a, a giant party and you lay out all this expense and you send out the RSVPs and all these people say they're coming, and then the day of, nobody shows up. What would you feel like? Angry, hurt, sad, lonely, But that's not what happens here. Look at the rest of the story, starting in verse 21. It says, the master was furious and said, go quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and invite the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. And after the servant had done this, he reported there's still more room. So his master said, go out to the country lanes and behind the hedges and urge urge anyone you find to come. So the house will be full. And for none of those I first invited will get even the smallest taste of the banquet. So here's where we have our our great great twist. Our big idea for this parable. Because remember, parables are primarily of Jesus teaching us about himself and about God. So what do we learn in this twist? We see here we see a host who has been unfairly rejected and insulted to the point of provoking him to anger by this community. And instead of reaching for vengeance, he chooses to direct his anger into grace. God will reveal how gracious he is, and he will use anyone to show it. The one thing all of those religious groups, all the people he's telling this story to agreed on, there was one one thing, really, when it came to the great banquet at the end that they all agreed on. That the lame, the crippled, the poor, and the non-Jew wouldn't be there. That was the only thing they agreed on. And here we have Jesus telling them a story about how the people that were supposed to be invited rudely rejected him, but instead of going after them, the host turns and extends this invitation to all the other people that never, that, that those people would never think should ever be invited to a proper banquet. This is the, the point of this parable. This is the heart of Jesus. He is trying to explain to these Pharisees, to this group of people, that his grace is bigger and bigger than their their use of it. Regardless of what, what, how, how good they think they are, that they don't need it, God is okay with that. He's so big and he's so intent on expressing his grace that he will find the people that are willing to receive it, regardless of whether they are worthy of it or not. What does this mean for us? Jesus invites each and every one of us to this banquet. We are all invited into the kingdom of God. And remember, this, is, this works on two levels. Yes, this is talking about our eternal destiny that we sang about this morning and we celebrated that we get to spend eternity with him in heaven. But Jesus also said that the time is coming, remember the rest of the phrase, and is now here. God didn't just, Jesus didn't just show up to get us to heaven. He came here to bring heaven to earth. And so he, when Jesus invites us into his kingdom, he's inviting us to experience that kingdom now. And I love in this story the last, the last phrase, the last group of people, that it says that he, um, in the, the story, you notice that last group he tells his... Um, The host tells the servant, he says, go out, and he says, the servant says, you know, there's more, there's still more room, and so he says, go out and find anybody, just go, go, go to the, 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 the most outward places, anybody, and urge them, compel them to come. Why does he use that phrase there? Because he was now reaching out to a group of people that would have had a really hard time believing that they could be invited to the banquet." And I think it's such a beautiful picture of, of how Jesus interacts with us. That we, we may feel unworthy because we are. But he, Jesus, and this was kind of the burden for this morning that I felt, that Jesus wants to compel some of us that, this morning that he is, in fact, inviting you into the banquet, into his kingdom. Regardless of, of your circumstance, regardless of, of where, how you see yourself, he is urging us this morning. We also see a God here, though, who um, is willing to let us miss out on his kingdom. See, the choice, that there's all these people in this story. There's the, the initially invited, there's the second group he invites, and there's the third group he invites. And some end up at the banquet and some don't. And the difference between those that do and those that don't is simply their choice. God is loving, and he will pursue us, and he will compel you. But he also gives us the option. He's a gentleman. He will not force you. And he is sovereign, and he is sufficient in himself. He is not insecure. And if you decide to not not engage him or not allow him into a certain part of your life or, or shut yourself off from experience, a part of his kingdom here on earth or in heaven, he is fine with that. It's sad. He would, he would compel you to, to reconsider, but it's not going to make him any less God. And so we have uh, the the. The picture in this parable, the point of this parable, I think for, for many of us is it's, it comes down to, to our choice. Will we, will we hear the invitation? And this is, this is a salvation call, but this is also in every day when you get up. Will you hear the invitation of the host saying, come, come to my banquet? Or will we choose to make an excuse I'm too busy. I got this other thing going on. I don't have really time for that. I would, but man, work's crazy. I'll catch you next time. You know, there's an enemy out there that loves to to distract us and he is intent on making sure that we always choose those excuses. Um, but the reality is, um, his and the reality is, his tactics haven't really changed in two thousand years. The things that the, the Pharisees were struggling with that stopped them from receiving Jesus is the same thing we deal with. Just like the Pharisees were tempted tempted to prefer working for God's love and acceptance instead of receiving it as a gift. Just like the Sadducees, sometimes we're focused on the physical, rational so much that we close ourselves off to the spiritual. And if there's, if we can't, if we can't point to the reason and have the empirical evidence, man, then, well, that's just not really something that's worth believing in. I can't wrap my head around it. I can't, I can't. But that's not that's not the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is more than that. There is, <laughs> it's a life of faith. Or we struggle with, with being a climber. You know, Our life is really just all about making your life better, more enjoyable. And at the end of the day, that priority is what really drives our decisions. We still come to church and we still... You know, we're still nice to people, but at the end of the day, we're as nice to people as we can be until such point as it costs us more than it benefits us. Any of these things will sabotage our ability to experience the kingdom of heaven. But there's another saboteur that I want to and our, as we close, uh, that, that I want to focus on. Lily, if you want to come on up. We're going to close in just a minute. Um, that as I was praying about this morning's message, that I, I really felt the Lord wanted to focus on, which is the unworthiness we feel when we know we act like these things. Because here's the dirty little secret. We're all Pharisees, right? We're all Sadducees. We're all social climbers. And it's so easy for us to, so easy for the enemy to use those moments, those actions, those choices to convince us of our unworthiness. You know, the, the enemy, I feel like his greatest weapon is he's really good at acting like a five year old. You ever had to, you ever argue with a five year old? <laughs> Or having a five-year-old that wants to convince you of something, <laughs> right? They use no reason. There's no logic behind what they're saying. It's all just emotional terrorism and repetition. They just browbeat you. Why? 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 But I want it. But I want it. But I want it. But I want it. But Why? 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 Nuh-uh, nuh-uh, uh uh <laughs> It's funny, but that's the way the enemy works with us. You're unworthy when we read our scripture. No, Jesus Jesus loves me. We go to church and we're reminded that, that he's passionate for us and, and, and we, we pray and, it, and we feel... Uh, we're like walking towards God and then then we go out and we have our day and we go to sleep and we wake up the next morning and the enemy is just sitting there going, you're unworthy. Yes, you are. 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 Look at that. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. (laughs) And eventually we just get so bogged down, we just give in and say, well, maybe you're yeah. Yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe I am. Maybe I don't deserve the peace and the joy. Maybe I don't deserve his his closeness and the sense of, of feeling like God is connected to me. Maybe I haven't done quite enough. Maybe I've made too many mistakes to feel in this moment. We know God will forgive us, but in this moment, it's justified that I'm not not connected to God. Lord wants to remind you today that the invitation is always there. I believe the lord wants to compel some of you this morning to urge you to to trust that and to to grab hold again of his presence he 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 was so generous this morning in our worship time but there may be somebody some of us here that that saw that and and we we maybe even liked it and maybe even made a smile but we felt distance from it because when we experience the presence of God, sometimes that the enemy, when, when we're not in right standing with him or we don't feel like we're in right standing with him, it brings, he, the enemy uses that as, as a, we experience shame. It's like, I, I can't, man, that would be really cool, but I'm just going to stay over here. God's saying to us this morning that. There is no condemnation. There is no shame that is valid when we come to Jesus. That's the whole reason he came and died. That's the whole reason that he went through all of those things, of the, the, the verse that was read this morning about the, the suffering that he did. He did all of that so that we wouldn't have to live in that shame, so that we could accept his invitation every day, every moment. Stand with me. I Just want to do one thing as we close, and um, if that's if that's you this morning, if if you're honest and, and you know you been struggling with that, that if you're honest with yourself, if you're honest with, with me, that, that you're, you're you've been struggling or your default stance is a, is a place of unworthiness and disconnection from, from the kingdom of God and experiencing that here, now pray for you this morning. We want to pray that, that God would break through, that His, His Spirit, the Holy Spirit, would would urge, would compel you, would convince you that that is not true. So I'm just, I just want to pray for, for, for you, and then we're going to do something. We're going to, um, Lily's going to lead us in a song that's simple, most of us know it. About how much how God loves us. And if, if that's if that's you, I want you to I don't want you to, to sing initially. I want you to sit there and just receive and let the rest of us intercessorily. I don't know if that's a word, but you know what I meant. Sing that over you. We're gonna ask the, the Spirit of God that He would compel you, He would convince you of that truth. As we sing that over you, and then we're gonna change, we'll change up the, the verse a little bit, and we're all we'll all join in and sing a confession that yes, Jesus does love us. So, Father, I, I pray for, for my brothers and sisters this morning that, that are that are here or online, that, that are feeling unworthy. God, that the enemy has been whispering or shouting in their ear all of the ways that they've, they have acted like like these, these three groups we were looking at this morning and convince them that because of those, those mistakes, those sins, those shortcomings, whatever it is, that they, that they have invalidated your presence in their life, God. And we ask that you would convince them now, Holy Spirit, would you just reach them and convince them, would you impact on them your love that your, your courage, your grace would just pour all over them this morning, that they would experience the freedom, not that they deserve, but that you offer anyway. God, would you brand on their mind and their heart how much you love them this morning,
1: Bending beneath the weight of his wind and mercy. When all love is said, I am unaware of these afflictions, eclipsed by glory, and I realize just how beautiful you are. prize, drawn to redemption by the grace in his eyes. If grace is an ocean, we're all sinking. So heaven meets earth like an unforeseen kiss, and my heart turns violently inside I don't have time to maintain these regrets when I think about the way.
0: that one more time, but this time, let's sing it as a declaration for ourselves.
1: Yeah, you love me Oh
0: thank you for your invitation God the one that you've been you've been sending out for eternity the one that you will continue to send out and the one that you you have sent to each one of us this morning Holy Spirit would you would you continue to work in our lives even as we we go out God we thank you for speaking to us this morning Fertile soil in our hearts. God, would you protect that that seed, that thing, that word that you've spoken, that that freedom that you've given? Would you would you wrap it around our hearts? Would you vacuum seal it? Whatever whatever you need to do to keep it fresh in us. May we guard it all week. May it grow. To more passion, more love, more confidence in, in your activity in our life, more vision to see your activity in those around us, more boldness and more courage to participate in your kingdom expanding. We pray all these things in your mighty name. Amen. Amen.